Yes, sir. yes, sir. The man wanted to ride. What did he do? Swing down, sweet jazz. If you're feeling my vibe, then we can all just ride. If you want to get down, then we can all just ride. All my people, throw your hands up high and just ride. Where you're from, east side to west side, just ride. All my people from uptown to downtown. From Cali to NY, you know we all ride. Hey, Ryan, how you doing? What's going on, Jason? How are you? Doing all right. Welcome, everybody. You're listening to the Bay Heights Podcast with Ryan and Jason here. And you can always reach us at, at Bay Heights Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And you can email us, bayheightspod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any questions. We'll read them on the air and cover what you've uh, got to say. All right. So, man, Ryan, it's uh, been a few weeks since we actually got to talk. We're sort of loading these up. But uh, what have you been uh, up to the past few weeks? Just been just the grind or any trips or anything? No. Um, the kids have been in school readily, which is great because – as we're recording this, we're in November and who knows if they're going to okay. come here. And uh, I don't even remember, but during like the Bush administration, they would have these colors to determine the threat level in the world. Oh, yeah. like today's I an do. orange day. So that's what Ontario is doing. Um, Premier Doug Ford is like, oh, Halton region is a code orange and, you know, Peel region is, you know, the magenta. Okay. I don't know. They just, it's, it's ridiculous, right? Every day it's, you know, people are like wondering if their gyms are going to close. And then people who take their kids to dance studios are like, well, dance studios are like a gym. Why aren't they open? So there's a lot of that going on. Um, okay. We're just thankful our kids are in school. Um, it's pretty normal for us, I suppose, as normal as it could be. Um, I think the only the, – what gives us anxiety, my wife and I, is that – um, you know, there's a couple cases that break out in the school and next thing you know, the kids are home for like a week or two weeks and that kind of just shuts things down because it just feels like <clears throat> for my wife and I that we've just been getting momentum. We've been able to focus on our work, come home, do the family thing and then rinse and repeat the next day and just get into a groove. So just a lot of right. that. Okay. The uh, the cases going up in Canada, like they're definitely going up. They in are. They are. Oh, they are too. Okay. So it's just they happening. Are. Happening everywhere, I guess. It's um, um it's a combination of just the weather's been pretty decent that people are still doing activities even outdoors. Okay. I don't think anyone's just being really reckless or anything like that. It's just Okay. I think people just take this virus. I think I think it's just the the nature of the beast that this virus is such a silent spreader and a, and and some cases a silent killer that we take it for granted we take it we, we we forget how easy it is to contract and even in my line of work what i pretty much do for a living is you know in property management is i i send people out to do shit you know it, it's terrible because in order for me to do my job i have to do it and here i am just like sending plumbers or an hvac tech or you know whatever critical you know uh business tech i'm sending you know, I'm I'm it, I'm behind the desk, and here I am sending these kind of blue collar workers out into the world to make sure that the company I work for stays in business, type of thing, right? So, yeah. it's um, it's, a, it's still not used to it, man. It's you know, I think you know, people always you know, there's all these internet memes about oh, 2020, eh, ha ha ha, but it it really is just completely bizarre. I was listening to um. I'm not endorsing him or anything, but I was listening to an, uh, an Andrew Sullivan uh, podcast and his whole theory is that once COVID does happen, you're going to see like people just going on 
drinking bender, just, just out of sheer celebration, you know, you're going to see like alcoholism through the roof and sexually transmitted diseases through the roof because everyone's just going to be in the state of like euphoria and just, you know, celebration. That's just going to, days are going to go into weeks and months. And, um, I kind of, I can kind of feel it, right? Not, not, it's not eminent now, but maybe in 2022 when we got this thing under control and, um, I can just see people just having a, um, just oh. kind of celebrating too hard. You know, I had that vision. If you recall long ago, I thought that there was going to be a moment when, okay, I, I mean, I was ignorant. I thought we were going to beat the virus by the end of May. It would be like, okay, lockdown, March, April, and we'll be back in May. Because I also underestimated people's resilience and just staying locked down and not going out. I was like, yeah. okay, maybe I should have predicted that. Yeah. Um, and I thought well, we were going to be as back. You, as you know, it was totally under control, right? The entire time. <laughs> well, I will say I don't quite agree with Andrew Sullivan's view. I thought it was going to be like that because it was going to be we're going to suck it up for a month or two and then we're going to just celebrate when it's done. Except it's dragged on. People are exhausted. The suffering's continued. And when we and what's going to happen is I don't think it'll be like a watershed moment like, oh, we have now um, taken out Saddam Hussein. Therefore, we can celebrate. It's going to be a gradual decline in the number of cases over a period of time. So it's not going to feel like there's a moment of celebration. It's going to be, oh, even if you notice now, there's no real stories about hospitals being overflow, overflowing, like even in mismanaged areas. It's because what doesn't really get reported, right, is just over time, the doctors just get a lot better at treating stuff. They figure out different practices and techniques how to handle stuff in the hospitals. There's been obviously the supply chains have become more robust. There's been different remedies that have come and come to before. So they, they can treat who's getting sick. What has happened, I think, has been an increase in alcoholism and substance abuse and all these kinds of things, just because people are isolated in there. Whatever ailments that they had before, they're just being like amplified. And that's happening. I think what's going to happen is, is people are going to be just worn down and it's going to be, we're going to gradually get back to normal, but it's going to be a bit like post 9-11. There was a suffering, there was a tragedy, and we don't know when the moments really happened, but, and it happened for different people in different ways in different cities. But there was a time when people just gradually got more comfortable going back to work, going and flying again. Like it took a few years, but it happened. And I think that's what's going to happen with the, uh, the pandemic. That's kind of what good, I think. It's a good point with, with 9-11. Also, because the pandemic is happening in different ways for different parts of the world. Like if you're in China, you don't even think there's a pandemic anymore because no one's getting sick. They've locked it up. South Korea, Taiwan, there are no local cases for months, you know? So I heard El, I heard, just to counter one thing, I believe El Paso's, El Paso, Texas, uh, their hospital is overrun as we oh, speak okay. right now. They've had an uptick. But anyways, uh, what's been life like for you? I, I was reading the book Range and um, just, I mean, that's a bit about how like there is a tendency to specialize in training. And this kind of really translates to athletes when people think I'm going to take my 13-year-old kid, my 10-year-old kid, let them focus on the sport, get better and better and better at it. But there's a lot of studies that show actually like having diverse experiences and knowledge, having more things to reference actually benefits you in the longer, being a proficient in the longer run. So mm-hmm. um, that's the premise of the book. So he just goes through different cases. Um, can, I, can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. Cause I'm just fascinated because I've, I see a lot of it and we've talked about how, um, you know, if you just watch CNN or even like listen to NPR, you just don't get a full 
Like you're, um, you're on the field. Um, you're, you're in Bay area. What, what would it look like? Or does it even happen? Does, is there anyone that works that you've seen or you've heard that can really go to a blue chip company or Silicon Valley and just have a QAnon sticker like on their notebook oh. or, or their lapel or something like that. Like, is it to the, like, oh, is, yeah. is, is, is the, what I'm trying to say is, can someone wear something like, can someone show support for such a French right. movement like that? And it kind of go, uh, because, because we, you know, you're I, talking I, about like that guy who left Google, he felt like there was a, a bias against conservatism and, uh, and like, are you ostracized? Do you feel like there's um, a, um, an unwillingness or a uh, almost a, um, it, that you should be worried about it affecting you personally, the, professionally, right? The, the, the thing is, is that when I was in Houston, Texas, I was there for I was there in 2016 when Trump right. was running and then I was there when he was president. And basically, I got the impression that, look, you're going to work for firms that someone's pro Ted Cruz or pro better O'Rourke or, you know, Trump or whatever. It, it, it doesn't matter. It's like that. That's, that's fine. That's, that's life in Texas, even a city like Houston. I'm just wondering, you know, Same because here? Yeah. You're yeah. asking, wondering if it's like, yeah. So, so uh, to be honest, I think by and large in the tech industry, yeah, it kind of is. Um, now the thing is most people have like one view just because it's one, you know, when people get into their, I don't want to say echo chamber because it sounds derisive, but you're just around a lot of people who sort of say the same stuff and you're kind of, a lot of people come from similar backgrounds, whether they were from immigrant families or you're already living in the West coast to begin with. And so you already had an ingrained view of the world. So by and large, it's not really hard for people to have this one view, but mm -hmm. um, I haven't necessarily seen it, but I do hear from other friends or particularly other companies. I think the company I'm at is generally a little more neutral. It's a little more, more mellow. It's also because of the older age group too. Like so we're spanning everywhere from our age all the way up to even people who are near retirement. Whereas if you go to some okay. tech companies, they're like they're like in their twenties, and an old person is like thirty nine, right? Jesus. Like so, when you're like that, then if you're coming in with your MAGA hat, that's a could be a problem. Um, <laughs> it's to be honest, um, it's it it is it is entirely possible to see a similar type of polarization here as in uh, some of the other states you're talking about. So whereas when I worked in other places like in Singapore or in Toronto, I would say it was, it was okay. You, you might, it wasn't, it wasn't like this. It wasn't like where it's on edge all the time. I don't know if it's also just because of the time period we're at in 2020 versus say 2012 and 08, but, mm -hmm. but, uh, but you know, I, America's different. Um, I, just before we dive into it, because we're going to mention it, I, I knew someone who worked in New York City, this other in like in hospitality, and so this this person was uh, more Republican leaning, more like of course straight up was part of the original Tea Party march, and we can talk about uh, the politics of that later. It's a little more nuanced the way she explained it, but um, mm. but what it was was when you're in New York City you can't really articulate your conservative views without thinking you're going to get ostracized. So she used to just keep her mouth shut. So no one ever knew that she was ever a, uh, a independent or left right leaning on anything. Right. She just right. never talked about it because she didn't think she could, it wasn't that open. So, so um, whereas other people would, they would just drop all these comments or jokes or whatever. And she would just have to like bite her tongue. Right. So um, yeah. 
I, wor- I yeah. worked with I worked with a guy who, you know, in 2016, um, you know, was so anti-Hillary that okay. you know he was. It's not like he was pro-Trump because he too would, you know, he too would head scratch and say things okay. like that. But but yeah, basically, basically his worldview was like even anyone's better than Hillary, right? Okay. And and him and and he wasn't afraid to have those conversations in the middle of a lunchroom. And we're talking like a packed lunchroom. This this gentleman was high up. Okay. Um it's funny because I had that very I had that conversation very early on with him. And then it took me a couple of years to kind of rid myself of that stench. And then I realized, you know what? Um, this guy's a dad like I am. Um, it, it turns out that him and I had the same challenges with, with respect to our, to our sons that, and that kind of okay. brought us together. And we kind of had a, you know, a come to Jesus moment where, <laughs> you know what we have, yes, we can disagree about this, this and that, but there's some, there's also some real shit we can talk about. And, you know, it, it just, it, it, it does, we have, you know, it's going to sound corny, but we actually have a lot, you know, we have a lot more in common than, than we do, um, than we, we, we have otherwise. So it was, yeah. uh, you know, if you want to talk about watershed moments, it was, it was definitely that for him. It, it basically took me two years of me replaying <laughs> this, replaying this conversation and talk about holding a grudge and then end up that, you know, we actually have something really important that's in common and we were able to focus on that. And, and now, you know, we were able to build a relationship on it. So it was more of a me thing type of thing because for him it was just you know here he is saying his opinion in a lunchroom and he just went back to work the next day and meanwhile i'm the one holding the grudge right it's kind of like it's kind of like mick foley and the rock like the rock has no idea that that mankind has like this grudge about cracking with like 13 chair shots unprotected <laughs> the rocks is going about his fucking business and then you know it's it's you know it's 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 a one-way harboring of feelings right so okay. um yeah, so it's uh anyways I just brought it up because uh yeah. it's very much a sign of the times and it's like you know with 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 QAnon especially I thought that you know what I can see people having differences of opinion but then it's this really fringe moment fringe movement that it's like okay what would people say about someone supporting that cause Okay so that is uh that could be a problem Yeah, yeah of so course that's something yeah. else um, of course but you know something else that, well, this one I go on uh, social media and under- look at is, is also a bit polarizing is the 2008 Celtics. So the uh, this is <laughs> we're, we're diving into the Shooting Stars series that we've covered. We covered the 2016 Cavs, 2011 Mavs. So now the 2008 Celtics. Um, before just kind of we're gonna I'm gonna go into an overview of it, but quick question. Your view, are they the most overrated one-time champions of all time? I, I hate them. That's my answer for everything. <laughs> I, I hate that team with a passion. <laughs> yeah. I, I hate Kevin du- I hate Kevin. I was going to say I hate Kevin Durant. Durant I hate Garnett. Kevin. I hate Kevin Garnett. Um, <laughs> he, he kind of spoils the barrel for me because yeah. um, cause here's this guy that comes onto this team and all of a sudden he's Boston strong. Like he's been playing there for 12 years. Like, 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 like he's the new Bill Russell. I don't know if you remember leading up. I don't know if you remember leading up to that, 
finals, but him and Bill Russell had a one-on-one. They're sitting on like lazy boy chairs across from each other. And Bill Russell's like, um, you know, Kevin, if you come up short, I would gladly give you one of my rings. And, you know, that was, just, you know, it, it was, it was a fluff interview, but it was, here's Bill Russell right. saying like, Hey man, you're, a ch- you're a champion in my, in my view. And, you can have one of my 11 rings if you guys come up short because to me you're a Boston Celtics. I'm like, what? No, he's not. He's this guy like, <laughs> I mean, no. He just showed up. Yeah. He, he, just, he just showed up. I mean, just, be, <laughs> just because I have timeshare in South Carolina doesn't mean I'm a South Carolinian. And that's that's to me what Kevin Kevin Garnett was. Um, I, I hated that team. I think I hated that city. I hated that fan base. I have a real love hate thing for Boston. <laughs> it's like on one hand, Boston and Massachusetts, like, you know, you produce this like amazing family in the Kennedys and, you know, America, I think overall is great for it. But then it's just like, you, you really have the worst fan base in the world and you can't even support your teams without like, <laughs> you know, saying really inflammatory things about them, especially, you know, men of color and all that stuff. So yeah. I don't know, man. It was something about Boston. It's like I I had no problem with Paul Pierce until he retired because now I feel like because he's got that one ring, he's able to criticize a lot of players. And he's, <laughs> he really has this persona that you just know. You just know that he wouldn't otherwise if he did. I almost feel like if Reggie Miller ever got a championship ring, yeah. He would be way worse than what he is. He now. would be so worse. Yeah, he would be. He he would so be. True. He would be. He would be terrible. And and Chris Webber and all these players. Can you imagine all these like hot take guys, <laughs> hot take guys we see on TV now? Imagine if he just got the one championship ring, and how yeah. like oh he should have taken a charge. I would have because I won a championship ring. I mean, it's just <laughs> you so know to go is, to. To, to go back to your point, um, are they the most overrated one and done team? No, I mean, they won and they won against yeah. good comp. They won against good competition. They won against an LA Lakers team that basically was a championship team the next year because, you know, they beat Lamar Odom, they beat Sasha Vujicic, they beat uh, Gasol, Kobe, uh, yeah. what's his name? Uh, Phil Jackson was coach. Yeah. They, they, they basically beat a team that didn't change much to win the next year. I mean, yeah, they did add meta world peace. Run I think I should have framed the question differently. Are they okay. in terms of, I guess it's like, you think they underachieved because they won this one championship. They got to another finals and in some ways, like you, I, I kind of thought that by the time that they broke that team up, they didn't really like in a way they did. In a way, they yeah. did. I, I think I remember the press conference with the three of them, or maybe two of them at the time. I can't remember what it was, but I, I remember a bunch of black T-shirts on on screen. It's like these guys didn't even wear tuxes or anything, and it's like three guys with black T-shirts. I'm like, okay, that's that's weird. Um, and um, <laughs> yeah, I think so. And and Doc Rivers being like, and that's another thing too, right? I think a lot of people were sold a lot of wolf tickets that it was it was really Doc Rivers' team that was like. You know, oh, Doc's gonna. Doc knows what to do with these three guys. You know, Doc's like, you know, he's the next great coach, and uh, you know, he's just gonna win. He's the next Phil Jackson. He's the next Red Arbach. Uh, exactly, and and he had these guys 
he finally has his big three and, and he's the right coach to coach these three guys. Yes. It's funny you mentioned that. Overrated. I mean, they, they did win one chip and they won it pretty convincingly yep. and they beat some tough teams along the way. Should have and should have these guys won at least maybe not one, but um made it a little more interesting in years to come. Yeah, I think so. And it's funny because we're getting ahead of ourselves, but when they then lost the Lakers two years later, I remember the whole thing was like, oh, well, Kevin Durant, oh my goodness, Kevin Garnett was injured going to game seven. They had to start Rashid Wallace. And it's like, oh, that, that, that's the reason why they lost. I'm like, but but you have Rajon Wando, who's like one of the best guards in the game. And yeah. you still had a very good team. And And if Paul Pierce was the MVP from two years ago, why couldn't he? Why yeah. couldn't he outwill yeah. Kobe Bryant? If if Ray Allen was really a number, if if Ray Allen was truly a number two player, but was concealed as a number three because Garnett was on that team, why didn't they win? So, in many ways, they did underachieve. And I think so, the big excuse is that they hit the injury bug going into Game Seven two years later. So yes. So man, like I, yeah. I am inclined to agree. And you know what? I also hated – I just hated this specific team so much. I like the current incarnation of Boston Celtics with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. I don't know. Just special – they're a rival team, obviously, to the Raptors, but I, I like them just better. This Celtics team in 08, there's just something about them. And maybe you have to be that dickish to sort of get yourself – for some guys, get themselves motivated to go and win and win and try hard because they had already been underperforming underachieving in their own individual careers before they got to Boston. Um, I actually went to a Boston Celtics game when I was in Boston. Um, I actually, so I saw James oh. Harden because it was the Rockets. They just, well, it was James Harden's first season with uh, Houston. That was the so, greatest night of your life then. There you go. <laughs> so it was obviously before the, before the Harden step back three, before he picked that up. But um, you had Jeremy Lin, you had uh, James Harden, Good game. The Celtics won. I mean, I mean, I can see why people who think Boston's a great sports town because that arena was packed. It's just a regular season game in February, and Houston was obviously not a great team then. It was just like on the fringe, right? And Boston came out. They were winning. Um, it, you do feel like when you're in Toronto and you go to a Raptors game, it's one of the most diverse places that you can be in the world. When you go to a Boston Celtics game, it's the exact opposite of that. And uh, it is it, it just when you hear like some of the, the call outs to some of the players, particularly Jeremy Lin, like you definitely have that feeling like, OK, you'd think that you were somewhere in the deep south. Um, so it was uh, it was fun. But I get, you know, the there's different stories about different athletes and other sports who have had problems with Boston. I can see what they're getting at. Absolutely. Um, um, so the. Uh, so just rattling off a few things about what was going on to the 08 season. Oh, in the 2006-2007 season, Boston was actually the second worst team. So they had really high lottery, high odds to, to win the overall, the first overall pick. That was the draft with Greg Oden and Kevin Durant. But then Boston fell out. They just somehow just, I don't know, they, I think they were going to draft fifth. So that was devastating to the Boston fan base who had just been sucking. That also feeds into what I wanted to say earlier. When you talk about Doc Rivers, I was like, so this coach who coaches second worst team, and then you see him acting all cocky with Kevin uh, Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen. I'm like, you suck. And then they keep saying, oh, he's a great coach. He's a good coach. And I'm like, I didn't understand why they kept praising him. And, and 
it took me a really long time and I don't think I ever really came around on doc and I realized, Oh, I get what they like. Cause he just, you know, he gives good interviews. He's good with the media. That's where the media keeps pumping him up. And it's part of the game, I guess you want to keep your job. You just kind of sort of placate all your stakeholders, whoever they might be. So they don't get the, this, the, they don't get a top lottery pick to get either guy. So then Danny Ainge pulls off the two monster trades. You talked about to get Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett while they have Rajon Rondo out of Kentucky from the uh, year prior and Perk from just a few years ago, the same 2003 draft where he was a high school student. Now, <clears throat> on the Laker end, 2006-07 season, the year prior, Kobe's Lakers actually were limited by the Phoenix Suns. Kobe went on the radio, went on the radio and requested a trade out of L.A. He just – well, he wasn't requesting. He was just talking and just answering questions at the interview, just saying he wanted out. So Jerry Buss had to talk him out of it and then – the rest was history. He stayed with LA. Everyone expected that Laker team to suck, but then somehow they actually became a really good team. They were like, by the time they traded for Pau Gasol, they were second behind the Suns in the division. So they were a uh, title contender. Then Pau put them over the top. So then these guys get to the finals. Okay, and then this was also the season that Kobe won his first MVP. And um, now with the Celtics, okay, looking into this, you're right. You mentioned it was a pretty convincing win through the series. You're right. I didn't really think of it as like I wasn't on the edge of my seat I wasn't like hmm, I wonder what's going to happen here I kind of just thought all along that Boston was going to win the series with that said I was hopeful that they would lose because I hated them so much Same. I always thought that these guys were like the, you know when you have the bully who likes to push around who they can push around but when it comes to like someone else who can actually fight back even if they're smaller like that's they get shaken up they don't have quite the same toughness uh, that's what I saw the Celtics. My whole it's it's funny because pre two thousand ten, like I wasn't a LeBron hater, but I was a LeBron like, haha, you know, like Michael's my guy, and I kind of like Kobe. <laughs> you're, ne- you're never gonna be that guy. And but I remember at the time I was like, you know, you three guys can't even take this high school kid. Like he's <laughs> it took you seven games to beat. <laughs> LeBron James and I don't even think Mo Williams was on the team, but like you get my point. No, like he, he had, like oh, he yeah. had nobody. Like I, maybe Mike James is on their team. Like it was, just, <laughs> it was, it was hilarious that it took seven games. Like that, that was my, that was my big takeaway. It's like you big three barely got by LeBron James. If LeBron James even had some help, like he would beat you. And I took. Uh, I just remember having a haha moment with that, and that, that was kind of my. <laughs> That was kind of my comfort with that as well okay. because, you know, um, <laughs> I was a Raptors fan that year and there was a couple games where like Bosch and Barney almost beat them. Well, put it this way. They were competitive for three quarters and then maybe they'd pull away in the fourth, right? And my whole thing was yeah. like, you know, oh, congratulations. It, just, like the, just like you just said, three bullies, especially Garnett, and, you know, you're just waiting for someone to – um, push them back but all the while it's not like i'm not giving them props but i'm just inside of my head i'm thinking the way you guys you guys are so lucky that you're built the way you are <laughs> in the eastern conference for this year because you know any of these teams if they just add a player here add a player there like you guys are done and maybe that's part of me that wanted them to be done but um but I think um, you're right. The Atlanta series, which I didn't follow, but I definitely saw the um, the Cavs series, and those are pretty competitive games. Oh, and you, I, could just, you could just tell that LeBron was by far the best player out of those two teams. 
not only that, just focusing on the Atlanta series for a second, um, I agree with that part. Like, that was LeBron showing out. Like, there was no choking in that series. It's just, okay, you got big three Hall of Famers beating this other team that has one guy who hasn't quite established his prime yet. Um, and, or got help. <laughs> yeah, or no help. They had Bubba Gibson on that team, right? He was a starter, I think, or Daniel yeah. Marshall. Um, yeah. The Atlanta Hawks. So, just to refresh, you had a, a rookie Al Horford. You had Mike Bibby, you had Zaza Pachulia, and um, you had uh, what's that guy's name? The dunker, uh, Josh Smith. Josh Smith, right? Dunker so and that, dunker and shot blocker. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that Hawks team, which by the way, they had trouble getting fans in the stands for whatever reason, and they they looked like they were really running Boston. Like it, it looked like Boston was shook. It looked, it wasn't like oh, like. Somehow, like, like, I wasn't going to say that the Hawks were better than Boston and deserved to win. No, I mean, the Celtics were better, but they kept choking at these weird times. And I remember at one point, then it gets to, you know, when you start having to complain that you're not getting the calls, I'm like, all right, you know what? Like, if you're a real winner, you don't need to worry about that stuff. These guys are like, oh, they're getting all the jump shots and the fans are so loud. It's influencing the refs. And it's like, Boston... You're getting, they're getting the calls because Hawks are driving to the rim. And when you drive to the rim, you will get, okay, this was back then in 2007 or eight, you're going to get the call because they're the refs are going to protect the driver. And it was, you Boston were a jump shooting team and they weren't as liberal with giving you foul calls when you're jump shooting like versus like today. So that's why there's discrepancy anyway. So Boston, they take it in game seven. It was a very decisive win there. Um, it was remarkable for me because that's when Kevin Garnett set that dirty pick. I mean, actually, I mean, it wasn't dirty, but it's one of those things where, you know, when you set a pick on a player's not looking and like, it's clear that it's legal, but it's clear that you also knew what you were trying to do. Like you were trying to injure that guy. You were trying to like knock him out. So like Boston was up considerably. They were going to win. Um, it was clear. And then Kevin Garnett hits the dirty pick. Just saying, hey, I'm just sitting the pick, and I'm, Zaza's all knocked out. I, by the way, I don't have that much sympathy for Zaza based on his track record later on. But at, at that time, I didn't know anything about Zaza. I just thought Kevin Garnett was dirty. And then that was because they were already up much. That's when Doc pulled him out of the game. So there was no chance to hard foul Kevin Garnett because um, uh, they were already up. We're talking about this playoff run. Ray Allen with Seattle, with Milwaukee. He They never really had any strong success. They, I don't I don't really know if people really got uh, – did Kevin Garnett with the Timberwolves make it to the finals? I don't think no, or con- con- never. conference finals. Conference finals. Uh, conference. Uh, maybe. One time, right, with Marbury, maybe. but it so might these have. guys and Paul Pierce, they were just three guys who they're like, well, these guys have never really had any real great success, and they really want to succeed. So there's always skepticism. There was skepticism about whether they could do it, even though they were kind of seen as favorites. But ooh, are they good enough? And then when they get to the first round. People forget that in that in that when they won that championship round one they went seven games against the Atlanta Hawks round and two did, they went pardon you were just gonna say didn't they go seven as well against the Cavs and then they went round two seven games against the Cavs they get to a game seven this was uh, the year when Tom Brady lost to Eli Manning in that famous uh, in the in the the undefeated season didn't complete like they didn't manage yep. to stay undefeated the whole season. Yep. So that's when they were just like, well, is this going to be another Boston sort of uh, like not choke job, but like, uh, I don't know what you call it when just you didn't live up to your expectations. Oh, at you, the end you, there. you come up short. Yeah. It was going to be like that. Looking at some of the guys on the team, just 
James Posey, Tony Allen, PJ Brown, Sam Cassell, Eddie House, Brian Scalabrini. I'm not saying that these guys are starters or all stars, but they were very tough minded. Like anytime I've ever seen these guys play, they never look they never look like they're backing down from anybody, no, no matter what the score is, no matter who their team is or who they're playing. So that like that Boston team sort of fed into each other and they were just a really, really tough team to play. And they had a um, very good regular season, right? We're talking what, sixty five, sixty yeah. six wins? believe so that's right yeah and they were first yeah so it was the biggest turnaround ever it was and it was the way they beat teams right i mean they they went into that so even though you're right even though atlanta and cleveland did push them to seven games um in the in the in the playoffs but yeah in the playoffs they 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 definitely had all this momentum they they were legit from day one once that team was they went on like a 10 or 11 game win streak to start the season Right, and they had never yeah. played a game together. So yeah, it was super, super strong. Rallying off a few little kind of tidbits about the finals. Uh, first time in 2008, there was the first time in five years that the two number one seeds had made it to the finals. First time since 1997, and the only time in the 2000s that the team from the East had home court advantage. It's funny. Um, the NBA final series is the first one since 1998 in ten years to not have Tim Duncan or Shaq in it. Um, and in the 2000s, they were the third team that was not the Lakers or Spurs to win a the NBA title. The other two being uh, Detroit and um, Miami. Uh, Miami, yes, thanks. Okay. So, okay, to be honest, yes, it was a convincing win. Some of the games had some, but like it was entertaining to watch at the time. I do remember that. But when I was looking at through highlights, and I didn't send you anything before because there was nothing really that was like, oh, this is we're gonna talk about this, we've got to talk about this. I was just like, okay, well it's a game going back and forth and it's getting close at different times. There was maybe a couple moments where it kind of had some inspiration, but I'll just rattle off how it went just to recap. You know, game one, Celtics win 98-88. Game two, Celtics win 18-102. Game three, Lakers win 87-81. Game four, Celtics wins 97-91. So now it's 3-1 Celtics. This was back when it was a 2-3-2 format. So you played three games in a row at, uh, away on the road. Mm-hmm. So game five was still in LA. And so the Lakers won 103-98. It looked, when I looked at the the way it sort of unfolded at the end, it kind of looked like the Lakers just sort of escaped. Just sort of escaped. It almost felt like once the Celtics won game four, like you knew the Celtics were going to win. Game six was straight domination. That's when it was just not really watchable. In game three, um, it was a bit weird. The Lakers are up. It's 87-81. It's like 20 seconds left. I know. And and you, at the end of the game, you can foul, extend the game. The Celtics weren't fouling. The Celtics were just trying to play defense. And Jeff Van Gundy, who was the announcer at the time, still. But back then, he's just like, why are they not fouling? Why are they not fouling? Like, mm-hmm. you have to foul. There's, just stop the game, right? And anyway, there was uh, Dem get called got called for an offensive foul. It was sort of. Well, a few seconds left. It was a foregone conclusion at this point. Jeff Van Gundy makes a point. Like, I just, it's the NBA Finals. Like, you, people want to say, well, it's only a few seconds left. Just get the next game. No, it's the NBA Finals. Like, you have to take every single chance you have, even if there's none, because you just never know what happens. So when he said that, I'm like, I agree with him because it's the Finals. you got to do that. Secondly, I was wondering, like, is this like a miscoaching by Doc again? Like, knowing what we know in 2020, seeing how Doc's track record is with certain teams like the LA Clippers this year. I was like, I never thought Doc was a good coach then. I thought he was overrated. I thought he just inherited this really good team, even though he had such a bad team the year before and he couldn't do anything with them. And then 
now I'm watching that play with my kind of more informed knowledge. I'm like, okay, I feel like the track record is there. Doc is just not a good coach. That was my takeaway. You know what Doc uh, would benefit from is in the NFL, you can be the head coach and not call one single play. You have your offensive coordinator. You have your defensive coordinator. I would say, just thinking off the top of my head, most great coaches call one or the other, right? Um, okay. I'm just trying to think of it. I'm pretty sure – I think Belichick will chime in and call. Yeah, Belichick's kind of like the defensive coordinator, and once in a while he'll step in and be like, third down, I'm calling this play type of thing, right? I think Doc Rivers – I think his strengths are what people have said about him, which you what you – which what he's going to hopefully do in Philadelphia, which is kind of just kind of help, you know, Simmons and, um, and Embiid kind of, you know, say if they're hindrance to get to the next level, it's kind of this mental block that he might be the guy to, I I actually believe that, you know, I I think there's, I think there's value in Doc Rivers and that you're right though. X's and O's crucial points, maybe like an offensive scheme to like, hey, how are we going to come out of the third quarter? How are we going to play the fourth quarter with five minutes left? He 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 very well might not have any business doing any of that. <laughs> and so I think that the NBA, or at least Doc Rivers, you know, if it ever gets to a point where, yeah, maybe he doesn't call the plays in the last three <laughs> minutes. He just, he just, he just, maybe he, call, maybe he has the personnel he wants out there and maybe he hands it off to, a guy, you know, who's got the analytics, who says, okay, two possessions, 40 seconds left. This is what we're going to do on offense and defense. Um, we're down by three possessions with 50 seconds left. These are the offensive plays and these are the plays where maybe that's what he needs to, okay. maybe that's the system he's he's suited for. And it just hasn't happened because you're right. He's blown way too many leads. He's blown way too many leads with good teams there's there's something there, right? There's something in his malware that's just not computing. But but he's good enough. He's kind of good enough to get there, right? So there's yeah. he's like a Mike D'Antoni in that regard. He's good enough to get to a team to something. I think a Doc Rivers, D'Antoni, um, you know, George Carl Question. from years past. Okay. Yeah, there's there's coaches that are gonna get you from 35 wins to 45 to 55 wins. Those are okay. those coaches. That's that's nothing to um that's that's nothing to scoff at but winning time yeah these guys might not be the best coaches so doc um i don't want to belabor too much because we'll we'll probably we're gonna eventually get to a a preview and check in i think we'll probably cover the whole doc to philly and all that but to be clear his only finals appearances as a coach was actually with the celtics in 28 and 2010 other than that he's never brought a team back to the finals so in terms of highlights to the series, I'm um, sorry, the finals, it wasn't like when we covered the 2011 maps, like that was a really exciting series. There were just yeah. these phenomenal inbound plays or like botched plays. I mean, like that, like the save by Wade, which I kind of overlooked. If, if the shot goes in, then everybody's replaying that save by Wade all the, all the time. Like, but I completely forgot about it. But anyway, on this, in this, I couldn't really find anything. Um, the only thing that really came to mind was game one. Paul Pierce gets carted away in a wheelchair, and then he comes back out, and the fans are cheering for him. That's about it. And then yeah, and the Gatorade, other than that, for me, it was the Gatorade at the end of the Gatorade at the end on the, Doc. Um, on Doc, yeah, with like yeah, okay, uh, 
and then they had to stop play because I that's like the first time it's ever happened during an NBA game, right? And they had to mop it up and it took a while. You could tell the <laughs> lasting the lasting impression for me was Kobe because he did not play the final seconds of that game and he was just on the bench. And, you know, when my kids or whoever asked me, well, what's your, you know, what's, what, what was Kobe Bryant for you in a nutshell? And we've talked about the no flinch um, with um, the ball. Yeah. But for me, it was when the Celtics were clearly winning and this guy just no sold their championship on their home court while watching Doc getting showered with Gatorade, he was just like, you know, who, it was just so fascinating. Like, what is going through this guy's head? But the fact that he was no-selling it was just, I I could have kissed him. It was amazing because <laughs> even though the Celtics were going to win and I did not want them to win, I would have cheered for anyone else to win but them. But the fact that Kobe was, Kobe didn't get the last laugh. But Kobe got the last "fuck you" in, and that was that was that was that was great to see that yeah, you know no. he was just we loved it. Yeah, he was not gonna be like he wasn't gonna like be mad or throw a tantrum that he lost the deciding game. He was just gonna internalize it and um, and just have that that look. He's looking into nowhere, and it was great. So that for me was so, the highlight of the of the series. The the thing about um, the series, I was gonna say is. It wasn't like, even though these two franchises have all this history, like Celtics, Lakers, the two-story franchises of the NBA, it didn't feel like there was this real chemistry between the teams where, you know, when the rivalry's picking up a notch, like Cavs, Warriors, obviously, because they kept playing each other year after year, mm-hmm. or like the, um, like, or I mean, you, maybe you'll get it more in, in, before you get to the finals, but it, it wasn't like you saw this immediate storyline between these teams. It just felt like, okay, we got two good basketball teams and they're playing. So there wasn't, yeah. maybe that's part of why there were no, so some questions here. If, if the, some what ifs, like if Celtics lose in round one to the Hawks, right. And like, how do, do we even see Kendrick Perkins on ESPN? And do we see does doc, you know, I'm just trying to think what the leg is, what, what happens Probably to not. the Celtics team? Like does no. doc just, Right, that was really important. Um, yeah, yeah, no, uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm absolutely with you because I, I think for a lot of these guys, being part of a championship just it it, it buys you all this currency. It, it buys you the ability to yeah. go on first take and just have really shitty rants and like. But but you know, I, okay, let's <laughs> talk about Perkins for example. He's he's not bad. I've actually come around on the guy. He's, yeah, he's quite right. entertaining. He's heavily scripted, but hey, man, he, he's got a <laughs> shtick. He pulls it off. But um, the thing with the the problem with the ex player analyst is they always try and like. Um, I'll give you an example. Greg Zahn, who was a catcher, like we're talking like B level catcher. He played a lot of years in the, in the major leagues. Um, you know, and he becomes a a Blue Jays um, analyst. And when Edwin Encarnacion was on the Blue Jays and the Jays were not having their playoff runs that they would have later. This was maybe like a year before. And his whole thing was like, I don't like how Edwin Encarnacion was like, you know, grounding out to second and like jogging to first, right? Like he's not even trying to beat out. 
He's not even trying to beat out the play at, at first base. And it's like, I'm thinking like, why the fuck would he? He hits 30 home runs a year. You've never hit 30 home runs a year. It took you nine seasons probably to hit 30 home runs a year um, to hit 30 home <laughs> runs. Um, I, You know, it's like, and, and Edwin was quite the injury-prone guy. I mean, he would just have like these, he'd hit a bad foul ball. And like, next thing you know, he's on the 15-day DL because of an index finger. So if anything, you don't want him to run. I, I can't stand these ex-players telling. Now, Perk was like, Perk was a certain player. He wasn't the worst player in the NBA. He he was okay. He was serviceable. He was kind of important for that team. But yeah, when he's telling Lou Williams how to play and how to conduct himself outside of an NBA bubble, it's like, give me a break. So if um, if the Celtics, if Kevin Garnett is not injured the next year, against that Orlando Magic team in the Eastern Conference Finals. Do those Celtics, do you think that they beat that Magic? Because I think they do. And then they go to the finals again against Ooh, the Lakers. You do, eh? I, um, yeah. I don't know. I thought I thought Howard had a really good year. I thought Turkoglu peaked at the right time. He kind of had a playoff run that was pretty memorable. I mean, it bought him another couple of years. At, uh, well, it bought him one big contract. I, I don't know about that one. Um, I actually kind of forgot that Kevin um, Garnett was injured. Yeah, he, he was injured the whole playoffs. Yeah. You know, so, my whole thing is like, you know what, man? If, you know, like, so, too, too bad type of thing. Like, you no, know, I'm not you saying gotta, that. Yeah, not, I know. If he the, the, play, the, the, mm-hmm. We're doing the what-if series. So here's the thing. If I, f- I, feel Garnett, like Orlando, I feel like that Orlando team was really good. It's really good. Okay. So because then the year after that, they traded the uh, Danny Ainge traded away Perkins before the tr- by the trade deadline. So then, when they got when the Celtics got to the finals, they were without Perk, which was I don't know questionable why they would do that. But you think about this: they could have had three finals in a row, and quite possibly, quite possibly, okay, I don't know about three championships in a row, but you you quickly go from shooting stars to we talk about them like they're the Heat. Which is really funny because of how much we talk about the Celtics as, as if they were. We talked about that front. Like, just we know all their players. They just, they're the biggest assholes. And you'd think that they would have, but the way they talk, you'd think that they would have won like four rings. But, um, but I don't know. I think it kind of it's just an interesting what if. Cause, uh, yeah. I mean, I could, I'm, I wouldn't say it's a cakewalk, but I, I just, yeah, I thought they were pretty strong. If LeBron didn't lose, if the, sorry, if the Celtics lost to LeBron, I'm just thinking about the ripple effects. If they lost to LeBron in Game Seven, we're thinking this builds to the lore of LeBron, who basically toppled the Pistons the year before, and he straight up beat these three Hall of Famers. I think they're they're ashamed. Like it just mm-hmm. adds, it, it shakes. I think it shakes the confidence they have because I don't think they were that they were not that self confident when you looked at them when they were struggling going into the next year when they LeBron kind of choked in that Game Six. I want to say Game, I think it was Game Six in Boston, and which led to the you know him leaving, or sorry, I'm, I think I'm getting it confused actually with, however, because he kept playing them in the finals in the in the in the playoffs. But if if that happened where the Celtics lost to LeBron, I I always like to think like what would have happened with the narrative around LeBron, also to LeBron's confidence, and then so subsequently to all the teams that had to play LeBron after, because um, if you think about it, one game, I think it would have it might have actually had a real effect on how much strength the Celtics had against LeBron and how much confidence LeBron would have had playing all these guys. What was the game that LeBron 
didn't even look at the rim when he shot a free throw because they were like down by 12 or something like that. It was, um, Oh yeah, it was, it was a game where he just like, he, he, you know, he has a, he has someone picked it up that he has a ritual at the free throw line and he just didn't give a fuck. He just, he just shot the free throws. It went way wide because, you know, Celtics were going to win. Um, okay. Anyways, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm going to guess that that was his, the 2010 season, um, game six. I'm guessing because that's the only yeah. one I could think of. Yeah, like, I, th- I, th- I think so too. Um, so I, I, I'm so so sorry. Your question is is what if kind of LeBron yeah. Well, gets- just the situation where if LeBron wins, then like you have a situation where now he's he's up on these guys and they don't have that mental edge and then does that mean that in the subsequent meetings it's now it's young gun just beating down these old men and it's not oh here's the big three taking out LeBron who's overrated or he's weak mentally right just just curious what kind of ripple effects that has because I think when fighters players whoever you want to be you win or lose it affects your mental psyche when you go play or compete against that other team or athlete again in subsequent uh, matchups. Well, know? let me ask you this. This Boston, the big three, when did they finally break up? I think it was... Because uh, that first season they played in Brooklyn against Toronto was 2015, I want to believe. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so, right? So I think it was the 14-15 season when they broke up. So that means they would have had years where they clearly weren't better than the Miami Heat. They never well, came they, out. That, that like later on when LeBron like in Miami in his second year in Miami he just straight or no his first year in Miami he straight passed them like that was That's, it from then on. But I meant before that because the, the reason well, I bring it up was the stench of failure was with LeBron for years and to this day people still question his will to win and I think it largely happens because of the way he lost to Boston and yes to Dirk a bit but really because of how Boston handled him I think that kind of stuck with him. I, I suppose I always saw see I, I never saw that I always saw that oh, okay. whatever type of fight LeBron put up it was going to be noble because oh, okay. even though he's the best player you know it's like all right no one's going to beat the, it, almost like when LeBron's Cavs went up against the Warriors and all you know his teammates got injured okay. right I never saw you know in terms of LeBron's stench I think it really comes down to. <clears throat> The 2011 uh, against the Mavs and everything else, mm, he's kind of been given a, you know what? a bit of a. It's it's probably really just the game six in 2010 with the Celtics. His last yeah. game as a Cavalier. Yeah. If you look at that last game as a Cavalier, he just he mailed looked, it in. It was yeah. Well, you're saying mail it in, but a lot of people, including myself at the time, thought he was choking. <sighs> yeah. Right? So I, I don't know. Could be wrong, but if you go back and look at it, it was just lots of. Just errant passes, him just passing off shots, just passing it off to other guys. Like it just looked like he was almost wanting to lose or shying mm-hmm. away from the moment. It was basically like the 2011 Mavs season. Um, it's possible that he had one foot out the door, and this was an unwinnable series. And you know, one one person's version is choke, the others mail it in. But it, it could be, you know, it could be either or. So now looking at um, some of the specific players first, before we go into the big ones, Eddie House, I feel like that guy doesn't get enough credit, actually. He was, like he was, was nice. Pretty, yeah, he was nice. Yeah. He was a nice player. He yeah. Was, you don't hear like, 
oh, you know who was a really good shooter or whatever? Like, yeah, Eddie House really came up big for it. <laughs> I just thought he had some real yeah. big shots. Like, you just think that he would get mentioned in some stories from there's quite a few talking heads from that Celtics team, and his name doesn't come up. But anyway, I think um, I think he, I think is their version because here in Toronto we had Anthony Parker, and Anthony Parker was always a nice player. Yeah, and I, he was my favorite. Yeah, I liked AP, and it was you know, and and when he played because. I always felt bad for him because he always had to play LeBron. And, of course, he'd pick up two fouls in the first quarter. <laughs> um, but, you know, such is life. But I always liked AP. And I felt like everyone's got – every team got their AP, a version of Anthony yeah. Parker. And Eddie House might have been the Celtics version. Ultimate compliment. He's guarding LeBron. And then when he's a free agent, LeBron wants him on the team. So There you go. Yeah. So some of these guys here. Doc, okay. If he if, – he is riding off of that one championship. These guys all really, but Doc is riding off that one championship harder than any other coach I can think of. Like he's just Ooh, not in all sports though. Okay. I'm, I'm talking about the NBA. Yeah. It's funny because there's a version of Doc in every sport. I believe in hockey, <laughs> it would probably be um, John Tortorella who won a championship oh, with, uh, who did with he the, win with? He won with the Tampa Bay lightning. Okay. And he, he was kind of like this cantankerous guy. It's like, none of my players are going to take a knee for the national anthem. He's done. A, he said other shit along the way. Um, <laughs> but no one has probably wrote a championship more than he has. <laughs> yeah. It's actually quite funny. Um, when I think about him and doc, two completely different personalities, but talk about when I talk about these boutique coaching jobs, and like yeah. seemingly <laughs> if they want a job tomorrow. And so I don't know if Doc ever had a, a TV job, but John Tortorella in between <laughs> coaching <laughs> jobs. Job. There you go. Well, John Tortorella in between coaching job gets nice TV jobs as well. So if they don't win that championship, does Doc like he's probably still <laughs> a coach in the league, but is he getting coaching jobs or he gets to go to a Blake Griffin, Chris Paul team? Probably yeah. not. No, he's getting okay. like um Oh God, who's the coach that I'm not too crazy about? Um, big man. Um, looks like David Robinson. Um, uh, Nate. Where? Nate, Mc, Nate McMillan? Yes, that's who he is. Okay. That's okay. who he is. Okay. Okay. Portland, Indiana. All right. Yeah, like, just, just, just doesn't all just, right. Just gets a job. Just, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Pierce, I think he's still is who he is whether he wins or not like he just talks the same way he like ends up on tv making stupid ass comments um i i don't mm-hmm. think so i i i think that that ring bought him such like a get out of jail free card where you know i don't think he's a hall of famer with without that ring i really don't um oh yeah good point yeah well hall of famer yeah but uh, sorry i meant when i was talking about his tv because when you ESPN, you're hiring guys to be on TV. Not, it's like it helps that they have more recognition from winning. But you're just trying to put someone out there who can who can hold a mic mm-hmm. and do some stuff, right? That's mm-hmm. why Damon Jones can be on TV and Jay Williams, who had his questionable history decision making. Yeah, um, with Paul Pierce, he's Johnny Drama. Um, he's just it's just everything about him. Like when you talk about him, you, you made that comment about how he gets that ring and he just makes these completely obnoxious comments. He got a little bit of success and goes over the top. It's like when in entourage, Johnny drama got on that, he got his TV series. Um, was it Viking quest? Not Viking quest, but uh, whatever that. Yeah, no, it was, 
the cartoon as well, him and uh, yeah, jo- yeah, Johnny Bananas. Um, or actually, he got also Five Towns. That's it. He had some success. He started getting success in season four, yeah, or five, whatever. And he just Dice Clay. He just became super obnoxious, right? I mean, he was always obnoxious, but it's just up at another level because of who he is, and that's that's Paul Pierce. Look, Paul Pierce was going to be like, <laughs> you know. Uh, again, I've made this comparison before. The difference between Dominique Wilkins and Clyde Drexler is Clyde got two rings. Good, good for him. Um, but uh, Paul Pierce was going to be a certain type of player. I think you just mentioned uh, on the uh, right off the top that they were the worst team the year before, um, or one of the bottom yeah, teams. Yeah, they were second worst. Yeah. So there you go. I think he's. Um, He'd and it's be funny. Like, uh, it's it's Rudy funny Gay. because. Yeah, it's funny because he um yeah, I mean I I consider him a bit better than Rudy Gate, but okay. it's funny because, you know, my whole thing with Fred Van Vliet is that I think he's a great second, third option on the court. And I think that last play that the Raptors had, last offensive play against the Celtics, he got exposed for what he is, which is he's not a number one. He's not a guy that can create his own shot. He's 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 not a guy that he's he's not better than Kyle Lowry. So <clears throat> When I see Paul Pierce winning an MVP in that playoff, I'm seeing him winning MVP because he's able to – they're able to run high ISO plays with him. He's able to get the shot clock down to like one, and he's able to do that because he's he's got Ray Allen right there. He's got Eddie House right there. He's got Kevin – I was going to say Durant. Uh, Kevin Garnett, um, you know, um, he, well, he's on the court. The point is, is that he's got options, and that accentuates. If he was, if he was a B plus player, he's now an A minus player, um, just just because those players are there, and he's able to finally get the breathing room that he's never gotten before. So, I mean, it's not his fault that he becomes a better player with those players around him. I'm just, you know, I'm just asking people to take that under context that. Um, he wasn't able to do that years before when it was just him. Um, he's not Paul Pierce is not Allen Iverson. That's my final yeah. point. That I've always just thought that. Like I don't know, the people keep talking about the run they had with that team. I was like, yeah, but he kind of really sucked the year before. Um, Rondo and Perkins, they were young when they were on this team. With Perkins, I, my view of this is them being in that kind of environment individually. It was a really great structure for these guys to learn and grow to be under for like a three kind of like a four or five year period under Garnett and Ray Allen and doc and for, you know, cause then they're, they're obviously still hall of fame worthy. There are that caliber. And when you're a young player, you could be under like Butch Carter, right? Um, you could be under the, the MLSC organization or you can be under this, the squad. So I think that really shaped their careers because perk shows up at OKC He's like, I'm a champion, and he's kind of that veteran leadership type voice in OKC. It's harder to be a leader if you really can't be seen as someone who's ever done anything, whereas when he got to OKC, he could be. So he had a pretty serviceable career throughout. Rondo, I think, he's a bit cantankerous and questionable like path if you think for the next few years, all those different teams. But that Celt- it was really important for him to get that credibility with that Celtics team and that championship. And I don't know if he gets to make it as far in the league because I don't know how many teams protect him and give him the leash that he needs. Cause you saw like Rick Carlo was like, you're not doing any of the series out. You're just going out. 
So then does he even get to a point where like LeBron is going to have him on his team with the Lakers here? I actually really think that those guys, Rondo and Perkins, have dramatically different careers if they don't win there. Like you just, they don't even get off the ground. Like we barely even know them. Last question for you. You think uh, Kevin Garnett's going to get his jersey retired in Boston or should it? And first, do you think it's going to happen? And second, do you think it should be happening? I mean, sure. Whether it's retired or in a, in a fire pit, um, it doesn't really matter <laughs> for me. I, look, um, I don't know. I mean, I mean, well, does Toronto retire Kawhi Leonard's jersey? I mean, like, I mean, talk okay, about context, guys. though. You're talking mm-hmm. about the Boston Celtics. Yeah, I don't know. I probably because if I'm that, if I'm part of any marketing, if I'm part of any sales team that has any um, that can contribute anything to that organization, I'm probably saying, hey, we should probably retire Kevin Garnett's number because he won here and. Uh, He's a Hall of Famer. He was always going to be a Hall of Famer. He was he was the surefire Hall of Famer in that squad. I don't even know if um, Ray Allen um, would have been. Although, I guess his I guess Ray Allen would have would have set some three point records. So it's possible because I think he did pass like Reggie and stuff like that. And yeah. Reggie got into the Hall of Fame. So yeah, I guess Ray Allen was a Hall of Famer too. Um, yeah. So I, I suppose if I'm part of if I'm a Boston Celtics um, management, if I'm a fan, yeah, I suppose I want to see Kevin Kevin Garnett's jersey retired. Sure, why not? Okay, so my view is, um, A, I don't think it should be. B, I don't think it will be. Um, if you think about what it takes to get your jersey retired, first, like, you think about just what they appreciate in Boston. I don't, know their, I don't, know, I don't know their requirements. Like, is Dennis Johnson's re- uh, jersey retired? Like, like how... How hard is it to get your jersey retired in, in Boston? Let me look that up right now, actually. Um, so I'm assuming like I'm assuming like Mikhail, Johnson, Bird have their jerseys retired. I'm you know, I'm thinking Paul Pierce would just because he was so, know, so many Pierce years. Pierce got his jersey back then, right? He was there so many years. Dennis Johnson has his uh jersey retired. Mm-hmm. Um but Garnett, the thing is Dennis Johnson, um he played for Boston for seven years. Um, Kevin Garnett played for Boston. So that's an interesting point, actually, that you mention it. I mean, because I mean, we were thinking of the illustrious, like you think of Bird, McHale, Russell, and so forth, all the way up the line. Um, but but Johnson also, how many how many titles did he win here? I, th- I think uh, he I think he won them all with Bird. It's funny because I think Bird was the one that said like, if you're gonna put me in the Hall of Fame, you put a, you better put Dennis Johnson in the Hall of Fame because I don't win anything without him. And that was the first time that I kind of heard like, oh wow, guys can actually champion other players. And whether Bird believes that or not, you know who knows. But it's just it just it just, it just goes to show you right. the power of kind of persuasion and when Larry Bird says like you better put this motherfucker in the Hall of Fame or else um so I'm wondering if that's why I'm wondering if there's anyone because you never know right because like Boston Celtics are good today in 2020 and they and they've been going a bit of a run and who knows they might make um an NBA finals appearance next year but so suppose they come up short and you're head of marketing like all these things are really like, you know, these things are ploys at the end of the day. I can, I actually think Barnett will have his jersey retired 
in Boston and Minnesota. All right, man. So on that note, everybody, if you have your better analogy for the Celtics and which WWE stable they would be or any other wrestling promotion, we'd love to hear it. At Bay Heights Pod on Twitter and Instagram. BayHeightsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for, thanks for listening. Thanks, Ryan. All right, man. Thank you. Stick to your vision, keep the composition. Seen a lot of shame in the game. Seen a lot of pain with the fame. Seen a lot of highs and lows, but that's just the way life goes. Seen my name written in the light.